what matters most. Right now, we are bombarded with what, what's, on, what's on the forefront of everybody's mind right now, or a lot of people's mind right now. The election. There's, there's an there's election on Tuesday, and the news, the news feeds just have bombarded us with, with, uh, with headlines of, of the, with, regarding the election. And as the people of God, politics should, should matter to us. We should care about governments and, and human flourishing within governments. But, but even more so, the kingdom of God should be priority in our passion in life. Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so, so last week we heard a message on that. And um, I'm going to kind of salt in a few things on that uh, today from Ecclesiastes chapter 7 on a message entitled Wisdom for Life. Uh, 2020 has presented you and I with many opportunities to be tested and tried. And we've had many opportunities to look to God for wisdom and how to navigate through this year. It's been a very challenging year for many, we've seen over 200,000 people die of coronavirus within our country. 200, over 220,000. Uh, we've seen the economy shut down. We've seen a lot of people uh, living in fear and mental health issues increase amongst many people. We've seen um, social tension uh, in our country. We've seen political tension in our country. And we've been faced with a lot of challenges this year and opportunities to trust God and be faithful to Him through this time. And one of the things that we've needed and we need today and this week, because the year's not over yet. It's been a rough year, right? And it's not over yet. We need wisdom. We need wisdom from God to face the difficult times in our lives. Wisdom helps us see life. From a biblical perspective, from a higher perspective than just just down low, under the sun. Okay, Wisdom helps us to navigate skillfully through life, to avoid pain, bringing unnecessary pain upon our lives by making foolish decisions that we regret in the end. And the book of Ecclesiastes falls under that, liter- that w- wisdom literature in the Bible. Okay? It is given to us as a dose of wisdom from God through Solomon. And, it's, and, and in, in the book, he gives us a dose of reality. A dose of reality of what life is like under the sun. Living life under the sun in a post-Genesis 3 world. Okay? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes 7 verse 1. We're going to look at the first 14 verses and we're going to look at that seven things that wisdom gives to us, teaches us from this book, from this section here. There's, there's many more that, that we can look at. I'm actually going to use the New Living Translation today because I think it will save us some time for me trying to explain as much. The New Living Translation does a great job, I think, it, with this text and in, in, interpreting a lot of it. A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. And the day you die, better than the day you were born. Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, and so the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. 
For sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool only about having a good time. Better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. A fool's laughter is quickly gone, like thorns crackling in a fire. This also is meaningless. Extortion turns wise people into fools. And bribes corrupt the heart. Finishing is better than starting. Patience is better than pride. Control your temper, for anger labels you a fool. Don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. Wisdom is even better when you have money. Both are a benefit as you go through life. Wisdom and money can get you almost anything, but only wisdom can save your life. Accept the way God does things. For who can straighten what he has made crooked? Enjoy prosperity while you can. But when hard times strike, realize that both come from God. Remember that nothing is certain in this life. So here's our big idea this morning from Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 14. Wisdom gives us a perspective on life that helps us to live well. I think each of us here desire to live the good life, and we desire for our children to experience the good life. And one of the most important things that we can, we can teach our children and point our children to is, is wisdom. The book of Proverbs speaks from a parental uh, voice in, in a couple different places. My son, get wisdom. It's the principal thing. If you want to save yourself some pain... And you want to live well in this life and not destroy yourself and destroy others and be a positive con contributor to the world, then you need wisdom from God. And Solomon gives us some of that here within this book. And the very first thing that we're going to point out uh, in, in the first section is that wisdom teaches us to live well by reflecting on the reality of death. Wisdom teaches us to live well. By reflecting on the reality of death. Now we've already visited this theme several times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And the preacher's not done taking us there to this theme. Because he's going to bring us there again. Okay? But here, he, he starts off this section saying, A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. And the day you die is better than the day you're born. Now that may not make a lot of sense. To, to us, right? Like, okay, the day we die better than the day we're born. One of the ways that some uh, the theologians try to explain this is is that when somebody's born, a baby's born, you don't have a whole lot to say about that person. Oh, they look so much like the mom or the dad. You know, there's not a whole lot you know about that that baby, but somebody who's lived their life. Somebody who's lived their life many years and they they have an obituary in the paper. There's more to say. About that person, they liked this sport, and they, they, they were so kind and helpful to these people, and they, they did these things, they were so passionate about these things. And so that's one of, the way, one of the ways that theologians interpret this passage. But nevertheless, Solomon is pointing us, wisdom, he's given us wisdom that teaches us to learn a lesson from death. Learn a lesson from death. And he says it like this, a very striking comment here in verse 2. Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. Now, 
must admit, and I'm sure most of us here would rather go to a party than a funeral. If we had the choice next weekend to either attend a party, a birthday party, a wedding, a 60th year party, you know, some kind of big celebration, we would rather go to the party than the funeral. Okay? Some of us avoid funerals because we don't like them. They don't make us feel positive. Right? And what they do, what funerals do, is they confront us with the reality that one day, one day it's going to be us in that box. And one day it's going to be those that we love in that box. And it's a harsh reality that we face in this life. And the preacher in Ecclesiastes tells us that it's wise to, to face that reality. And it's unhealthy to ignore that reality. Because when you and I take the time to appropriately ponder the end of our life here under the sun, it helps us to live well now under the sun. It helps us to, to reevaluate and reorient orient our lives around those things that matter most. But when you're at parties and you're cutting up, and you're having a good time, you're not thinking about the deepest, most important things of life. You're just having a good time. Right? And so, so I love this about funerals, especially as a preacher, because it's an opportunity for hearts to ponder where they're at with God. It's an opportunity for, for people to ponder where they're at in their relationships. Mother, brother, sisters, cousins, friends, co-workers, being confronted with the reality that they're not always going to be there, and we're not always going to be here, and we have the gift of right now to steward and to enjoy and not presume upon our future. You see, this life is very brief, and, and the preacher in Ecclesiastes has already told us that. It's brief. It's short. And so we should consider the brevity of life. The, the second part of verse 2, it says, after all, Everyone dies. So 10 out of 10 people die. That's the ultimate statistic. Okay? Not 9 out of 10. 10 out of 10 people die. It's inevitable. We know it's going to happen. Right? Uh, the average person lives about 27,375 days. I don't know where they got that stat from, but I found the stat. The average person lives about 27,375 days. And living every day... For the last is the best way to live. Living in light of the end helps us to live well. The, the living should take this to heart. So when you go to a funeral, and we're not at a funeral today, so I'm not going to camp on this too long. This is, this is my funeral text, by the way. When I preach a funeral, this is one of my go-to texts to highlight. And I, and I challenge, like I am right now, the people to take to heart the brevity of life. To consider how brief life is. And there's a few other things I challenge those to, to take to heart. Notice verse 4. A wise person thinks a lot about death. Now this isn't a morbid focus, unhealthy morbid focus on death. You know, like like you know the teenagers that just... That, that draw gothic stuff and wear dark clothes and just thinking about negative death, terrible things. This is a healthy focus, um, thinking about the reality that one day this is going to happen for us. And in light of that, let's make the adjustments that we need to make to live well. 
Okay, so here's a couple things to take to heart. One, the brevity of life. Your life is but vapor, James 4 tells us. Okay, it, it's, we're here and then we're gone. And of course, as Christians, we know that this isn't all, for, this isn't all there is for us. I pity and, and feel for those who are atheists and have no hope beyond the grave. But as Christians, we're able to face the harsh reality of death because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll save that for the end. Also, the certainty of death. Consider that. And the certainty of death and then judgment after we die, we stand before God and we give an account for our entire lives. I don't know if you've ever stood before a judge in a courtroom for something you've been guilty for, but it is a sobering moment to stand before the judge, even if it's just a ticket, right? Even if it's something small, that's not a time to joke around, to cut up, to act like everything's cool. You've got to show some respect to the judge. The reality is, Ecclesiastes tells us this, and the rest of the Bible tells us this, is that we're, there's a day that's appointed for us to die. Okay, this is one appointment that we're not going to be late for. Okay, you may struggle with tardiness and showing up on time for appointments, but this is one appointment you're not going to miss and you're not going to be late for. It's appointed for a man once to die, Hebrews 9.27 says, and after that comes judgment. Okay, and so it's certain. Also, in light of that reality, consider the meaning and the purpose of your life. What are you here for? You do have today. You have right now. What has the Creator placed you here on this earth for? And what can you do to adjust your life to live according to His purpose? To align up with what He's put you here for. And lastly, consider, take this to heart as you consider death, the importance of loving and enjoying those around you. This is the greatest commandment, Jesus says. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to live a life with little regret at the end, then live a life of love. Okay? Ecclesiastes has already pointed to us uh, the reality that two is better than one. That we should enjoy the gift of companionship. And enjoy food and drink and work. And enjoy the gift of life that we do have. All of life is a gift from a gracious, sovereign God. It's a gift from God to us to enjoy, but also to steward well. Okay? Your life is a gift. And so, and, and those around you are gifts to enjoy, the friendships, the relationships. If I were to see my entire life, if I were to stand before God on judgment, and He were, God were to show me my life before, uh, my, before Him, in, in like a movie form, you know, just if it would have flashed before my eyes, like a, like a movie. The number one thing I would want to see myself doing is loving, living a life of love. And that's Jesus. That's Jesus. He lived it up like that. He loved God and he loved people well. He went about doing good. And so wisdom teaches us to ponder the reality that one day we're going to die. This year has presented us with that opportunity with coronavirus. Many of us have been confronted with the reality that sickness and death happens in this world. And you can try to ignore it, and you can try to run from it, and you can try to tune it all out. But one day, death's going to come knocking. 
And we can face that with, with hope and courage because of the gospel. The next thing that, that wisdom here teaches us is that it teaches us to mourn. Okay, this goes along with the first point here. He says, sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, grief is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. Uh, verse 4 in the ESV says, the heart of the wise is in the house of the mourning. Okay, the house of the mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. And so wisdom teaches us to have this grief and this mourning over the brokenness that we experience in a post-Genesis 3 world. This world is, is crooked and messed up and broken in so many ways. And not just the world out there and the people out there, not just politicians and not just other nations and not just the bad guys selling drugs and, and taking people's lives and, and doing immoral things. The world's not just broken out there, but, but we're also broken in so many ways. And we have sin ourselves. We've, we've had our lives corrupted by the influence of sin. And we need a Savior. And we should mourn and grieve over this reality that sin has corrupted this world and it has brought forth death into the world as God said from the beginning would happen when mankind rejects his, his design. Sin, death is the result of sin. And so we should mourn over this. Many of us struggle to do this. Many Americans struggle to do this. We're, uh, we're very good at what's called escapism. And we have lots of trinkets and a lot of means to help us to ignore the reality, painful realities of this life. Many people seek to ignore the pain and the brokenness of this life. Through excessive entertainment. You can veg on Netflix. Binge on Netflix. And just watch all kinds of stuff. And not think about the harsh realities in your own life. You can be very busy with work. You can overwork and not, not reflect and ponder the painful realities that you're walking through in life. Okay? Um, you, can, you can look to immoral relationships. To try to, to medicate pain and grief that you're experiencing in this life. Many Americans don't know how to accept loss and grieve over it. Okay, next week, there's a lot of people are going to be grieving. On one side of the political party, they're going to be grieving over the effects of the election. And, and perhaps maybe all of us will be grieving, depending on what happens. Who knows? Okay, uh, but wisdom teaches us to accept the, the, the loss and mourn and grieve, grieve over it. Okay, to, to, to acknowledge, man, this, this hurts, this is painful. Now, now some of the, the other options are escapism and denial. Uh, uh, psychologists describe five stages of grief, and, and the first one is denial. Okay, just deny that anything's wrong, or no, it didn't happen, no. Um, just don't, don't think about it. Deny it. Uh, or anger. Anger is the next stage. Um, bargaining is, is the, the next one. Depression. And then ex acceptance. Uh, there's a book written by Peter 
Scazzario, emotionally healthy spirituality, and he said this. He said, there's no greater disaster in the spiritual life than to be immersed in unreality. In fact, the true spiritual life is not an escape from reality, but an absolute commitment to it. Loss marks the place where self-knowledge and powerful transformation happen. If we have courage to participate fully in the process. Okay? So, so when we go through grief and pain and loss... When we experience the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, the loss of something that we hold dear in our life, it's an opportunity to learn, to learn about God, to learn about ourselves. It's, a lot, it's an opportunity to grow. As a couple of theologians say, bereavement, while painful, a more effective prod to growth in spiritual wisdom and maturity than the elation one feels over a newborn child. J.S. Wright says, a sorrow shared may bring more inner happiness than an evening with back-slapping jokers. Many folks try to escape reality just by laughing it off. Comedy, entertainment, just laugh it off. While deep inside there's this, there's this uh, corroding pain and grief that's not being addressed, that's not being faced. And so there's this facade of this smile and this, this real shallow, uh, light-heartedness that everything's okay when it's not okay. And, and what wisdom teaches us that, that the path to healing and wholeness and health is to grieve in a healthy way, to, to face the reality that we live in a post-Genesis 3 world and there's lots of things that are not right. There's things that are done to us that are not right. There's things that we do that are not right. And we need a Redeemer. We need a Savior. Okay? And we can acknowledge the sinfulness and the brokenness of this world in light of the, the truth of the gospel. We should grieve over it if we're going to experience the path to healing and, holy, and wholeness. Another thing is, and this goes, goes with that, is that wisdom teaches us to accept reality. Okay? Foolish people are disconnected with reality. Wise people are in touch with reality. Okay? Um, verse 5 says, better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. The ESV says, it's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the songs of fools. Okay, and there's, we can go to uh, Spotify, we can go to YouTube, and we can go to Apple Music, and we can hear a whole bunch of songs of fools, if you will, that, that may distract us and they may make us feel good in some, some sense of comfort. But to have a wise person in our life that speaks the truth in love is a gift from God and it's a means of growth for you and I when we embrace those hard truths that we're confronted with through wise people. They help us get in touch with reality. I'm thankful for the men and the women that God has sent into my life to speak words that I needed to hear of rebuke and correction when I'm when my thoughts were over in the cloud I'm over in left field daydreaming about how I think where I think I'm going and what's going on in my life and and I've had to many times be brought back to reality and be confronted with limitations that I have as a human being okay um, so wisdom teaches us to accept reality. 
Next thing is that wisdom teaches us to be patient and calm. This is a good one for, for next week. Okay? After we hear who who's going to be the president in 2021. Finishing better than starting. Patience better than pride. Control your temper. For anger labels you a fool. Right now, many are in outrage. Many are upset and expressing anger political, politically. And they're just frustrated. They're just frustrated and angry. And anger has a way of zapping us of emotional and mental energy. And it can become toxic to us and toxic to the relationships around us. The scripture teaches us and James to be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, God himself is slow to anger, and he has anger, and so some measure of anger is good and healthy being a human being. We're going to get angry about injustice and things that are done wrong, whether to us or to others. And a level of that can be healthy and, and be human and important. Jesus got angry, right? As fully, fully man, fully God, he, he got angry and he turned over the tables in the temple. He was angry about what was being done in the house of God when the house of God should have been a house of prayer, a place for people to encounter God. And it was more about business and making money. Okay? Jesus was angry about that. But you and I would do well if we would learn from wisdom to be patient and calm to to control our anger and not let anger take over our lives and lead us to say things to post things and to do things we know that we shouldn't do anger teaches us to be patient or wisdom teaches us to be calm to be patient and calm and finishing is better than starting this goes along with patience by the way finishing is better than starting how many of you are really good at starting a project, starting a book, but not as good as finishing the project or finishing that book? I'll admit, I'm, I, I fall in that category, right? Um, it's easy to start stuff. It's easy to be enthusiastic about something when you're offered an opportunity. And you're like, yeah, sign me up. I'll be there. And then, and then finishing is, is another whole other deal, all right? And God... God, Jesus Christ is the only one who perfectly did that. He's the only one who walked that out for us on earth to see somebody who finished perfectly. He said, Father, he said, it's finished. The work is finished. He did all that the Father had called him to do while on this earth. And he patiently endured the cross for the joy set before him. The next thing is that wisdom teaches us to avoid a preoccupation with nostalgia. Okay? Verse 10, it says, Don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. And the ESV says, uh, Say not, where, why were the former days better than these? For this is not from wisdom that you ask this. Okay? So wisdom teaches us to avoid a preoccupation with nostalgia. Nostalgia is a sentimental longing and wistful affection for the past, typically for a period or a place with happy personal associations. All right. Uh, David Gibson says in his book, um, Living Backward, uh, how Ecclesiastes teaches us to live in light of the end. He says, often when we ask this, 
and referring to we're in the good old days. Often when we ask this, it's because we're blind to the good things of the present and ignorant of the evil things of the past. Nostalgia is a form of escapism. By taking a vacation in the past instead of grappling with the present and looking to the future in faith. Uh, He says again here, he says, wise people who understand how God has made us to long for him and for heaven don't look backward when they get nostalgic. They allow the feeling to point forward. They look up to heaven and to home. Warren Wiersbe says, it's been said that the good old days are the combination of a bad memory and an imagination. I'm sorry. It's been said that the good old days are the combination of a bad memory and a good imagination, and often this is true, the good old days, all right? And so as I've said already in this series, uh, don't let the focus of the past rob you from the enjoyment and good stewardship of the present, okay? Don't let a preoccupation with nostalgia, longing for the good old days, or, or regret being crippled and hindered by regret from things of the past or and or fear of the future or longing for the future rob you from present enjoyment and good stewardship of today. Today is a gift. Tomorrow's not promised to you here under the sun. We may not see it here, but we have today. The scripture says, today if you'll hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. And so let us hear what wisdom has to say to us today and live our lives well under the sun. The next thing is that wisdom brings some protection and strength. We would all agree, I think, that it's good for us to be wise, to get wisdom. It's, it's important. It's a value. Verse 11 and 12 says, wisdom is good with an inheritance an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of, of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Now he's already, he's already confronted the, the limitations of money. And, and the, the unhealthy love for money that people have and how it destroys their lives. But Solomon does acknowledge there are some advantages to having money. And he compares it. To having wisdom. And when you have both, that's a greater advantage. But wisdom is even better. Wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Wisdom also gives strength. Verse 19. Wisdom gives strength to the wise more than ten rulers who are in a city. So the New Testament tells us in James 1 that if anyone lacks wisdom, ask God. Ask God in faith. And God will freely give wisdom to anybody who needs it? And this is especially relevant, relevant when you're going through trials. When you're going through a 2020 kind of year, it's relevant to look up to God and say, God, give me wisdom. Help me to see from your perspective. Help me to navigate skillfully because these waters are really tumultuous and challenging. And I need wisdom from above. And so wisdom brings a level of protection and strength. And yet, there's limitations to that because 
You can be a wise person, as Solomon will say later on in this chapter, and, and still experience some kind of calamity, some kind of hardship. And we see this in the Bible with Job and, and others who followed God. And so this brings us to the last point here, that wisdom teaches us to accept God's sovereignty over our life. And I hope this is a comforting truth to you in light of our current day circumstances, in light of the uncertainty of next week, of what next week may look like. We can be grounded and anchored on the certainty of God's sovereignty over our lives. He's been sovereign over human history and he's sovereign uh, over our lives today and nothing catches him by surprise. Verse 13 says, Accept the way God does things. For who can straighten what he has made crooked? Enjoy prosperity while you can. And when hard times strike, realize that both come from God. Remember that nothing in this life is certain. And so we should accept the sovereignty of the God's sovereign rule over our lives. This has been fuel for worship for me. This has been comfort and confidence to me through various life circumstances. This has been a perspective that has helped me get up uh, in times of difficulty, get up in the morning when, um, when life is hard, when I don't feel like uh, moving on. I can trust that God is sovereign over my life, and you can too. Job said it like this. Job was a godly man, a righteous man who experienced much prosperity. God blessed him with lots of stuff, family, life was good. He, Job had God's smile on his life. And a person who had God's smile on his life not only experienced prosperity from God, but he also experienced adversity. And it wasn't, and it was filtered by God. It was filtered. God allowed adversity to come Job's way. And when Job was stripped of his health and he lost what he had, he worshipped God. He, when he, his initial response to hearing that his uh, his property had been damaged and, and that his children had had passed away was he he, he shaved his head. He fell to his knees and he worshiped God and said the Lord gives and the Lord takes away but blessed be the name of the Lord in chapter 2 his wife said to him do you still hold fast your integrity curse God and die but he said to her you speak as one of the foolish women who would speak shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil and all this Job did not sin with his lips Job's a prime example of somebody who accepted the sovereignty of God. Uh, somebody who enjoyed prosperity, uh, the days of prosperity that he had, but also accepted adversity when it came, knowing that it came through the Almighty. And in the end, James, James 5 tells us, in the end, God's intentions and his plans were good, that he was gracious and merciful. James 5, uh, verse 10, I believe. Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, God balances our lives by giving us enough blessings to keep us happy and enough burdens to keep us humble. God blesses our lives by giving, enough, giving us enough blessings to keep us happy and enough burdens to keep us 
humble. Wisdom teaches us to accept God's sovereignty over our lives. Do you believe that God is sovereign? That he's in charge? That he rules and he reigns? Now let me, let me just explain to you what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that God takes delight in evil things that happen when there's abuse, when there's terrible injustices that are done by people to other people. God doesn't take pleasure in that kind of thing. But God is still sovereign and nothing catches him by surprise. Okay? And, and so everything that comes our way as the people of God, we... We trust that it's been filtered by the, through the hand of the Almighty, through our all-wise, all-loving, all-sovereign God who holds the entire world in His hands. And we trust Him. We cling to Him in this. And we trust that He's going to work all things together for our good, even the painful things. And again, you know, it's often in the times of grief and loss and pain that we learn some of life's most important messages. It's often in those times of brokenness and pain that we experience the nearness of God in a deep, intimate way because God is near the brokenhearted. And He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, I'm sure all of us would prefer the path where we get to get taken out of uh, not go over the valley or around the valley or up and out like Enoch, like take me home, right? I think we would all prefer that option. But we get the opportunity of walking through difficult times with God and He promises that He will never leave us and He'll never forsake us. And the Bible teaches us that He's in charge, that He's the ruler, so we don't have to freak out about who's in charge of the country, who's commander-in-chief. We don't have to freak out about other powers uh, and, and leaders in the world. We don't have to freak out about that because ultimately God is in charge. He puts up and he puts down leaders. He's sovereign over them. And that's one of the things that the, that, that the, um, like the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel books that point us and, and, and talk about the end times, that's one truth that they emphasize, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, that God is sovereign. He's sovereign over human history. He's sovereign over the, 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 the leaders in the world, no matter how intimidating and how powerful and how wealthy they are. God's sovereign. And he'll, he'll work through even ungodly leaders to bring about his purposes and plans. And so we trust him. We trust him. We trust him that he's going to bring about good for our lives. And so let me let me land the plane here with a couple of application points here. The first one is take life seriously. Life is precious. It's a precious gift from God. So don't live foolishly. Don't don't choose the path of escapism and ignore the painful realities of this life. Take life seriously. Live carefully. Live wisely. Consider your life. Consider why you're here. Turn your attention to God. Consider the work of God. Consider what God has done. 
And trust in, the, in God's sovereignty and in His goodness. This has been key for me through difficult times, is trusting in God's sovereignty, but also His goodness, knowing that His intentions are good. Now we see, ultimately we see the sovereignty of God manifested in the cross of our Lord Jesus, who under God's sovereign plan went to a cross and suffered as the sinless Son of God. He suffered unjustly, the most unjust death ever in human history. He suffered under the sovereign hand of God, under the Romans and the Jews. And it was God's plan. God had planned it. And it was through His sacrifice that God had decided to bring goodness to the world, salvation to the world. He took what humanity and Satan and his demons meant for evil and meant for harm, and He turned it for good. Consider the work of God in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Consider the one who embodied wisdom and came and dwelt and, and lived among us. The ultimate wise and righteous life. The one who displayed perfectly for us through his life and his death the sovereignty and the goodness of God. And aren't you grateful that after Jesus went to the grave that he didn't stay there? That death didn't get the last word over his life? And aren't you grateful that death doesn't get the last word over your life and my life? Take to heart not only the reality that life is brief and that we're going to die, but take to heart the reality that Christ is the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in him, though he dies, he lives. He who believes in him has passed from death to life. The grave couldn't hold Jesus down. This was the work of God, the plan of God, for Jesus to step into this post-Genesis 3 world, to feel the grease as a man of sorrows, to bear the griefs and the pain and, and our sins, the sin of the entire world upon himself, under the sovereign hand of the Almighty. And he took that for you and me. So that we can experience eternal goodness, eternal salvation, life with Him forever. He is the resurrection and the life. He's the answer to Solomon's riddle about death. He's the answer to Sol the, 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 the harsh reality of death that Solomon keeps pointing us to. You're going to die one day. And it's a tough reality to accept, but you and I can accept it with hope and even comfort knowing that for us who are in Christ, we're going to rise. And so we can say with Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. As we sang earlier, death is just the doorway for, for us, right? And so, yeah, it's painful. Yeah, it's it's not a, a pleasant thing to think about. It's a harsh reality that every one of us is going to experience here. We're going to experience a physical death. But we face it in, with hope. We, we face the grief with hope. We process the grief with hope. Yeah, this world's broken. But we're promised a world of perfect peace. 
a perfect justice, a world of perfect love. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge that we need wisdom for this life. We need to see from your perspective, and we need the skill to drive well, to navigate well. God, we have we've blown it. We've ran red lights. We've transgressed the law, the speeding limit. We've gone past what you have told us. And we've, we've made a mess of things with our life in many ways. And I thank you. We thank you for sending Jesus to come and live perfectly the life that, that we have failed to live. And to die as the perfect sacrifice for us and for our sins. So that we can experience abundant life and eternal life. We pray Psalm 90 that you would teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Pray that we would live well. For the glory of your name.